This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Hey, that's not pretty bad. That's really bad. Losing to these Portland Trailblazers, which the Raptors just did, 99-91, to 91, is not an, a good indicator of where they should be, the level of basketball they should be playing. It's also just a team that they have really no business losing to. I know this is an early season where the Raptors are adapting to a new system. I know players are trying to make things work, and the Raptors are trying to do things that are easier done with different skill sets. They have a bunch of talent in some places on the roster. They have a bunch of unique skill sets that overlap, and they're missing out on some fundamental things that they're trying to get around. All that said, they should not be losing to these Portland Trailblazers. At home, especially 99-91, to this is a tough one. I just got back from the stadium and uh, talked to Jakob, Scotty, Darko took the subway, took the 96 home for anybody who's tuning in and saying like, hey, what happened to the live streams at the stadium? Here's the thing. Apparently, there's something called broadcasting rights of which I, you know, I'm not like a big exec. I don't know anything about that, but there's broadcasting rights that I can't pay for within the arena. So no more live streaming from the arena. We're going to have to do these late live streams talking about the game. Um, the big stuff off the start, Scotty sleepwalking to 20 points is a big deal. Um, he helped out on the glass in a way that a lot of players in the Raptors weren't able to tonight. I thought that Grady showcased a ton of stuff, really impressive stuff, particularly putting the ball on the floor in this game, where last game, he wasn't forced to put the ball on the floor very often. He was just shooting. So he got more pressure at the point of attack, um, or at the point of the catch, I should say. Pretty great tonight. He got blocked on the one, like, pump, attacked the top foot, one dribble, went in for a little layup over top of another guy. The help side came over and just, bop, smacked that out of there. Really good take. And he also had one going to his left that he converted on because he is a really good ambidextrous finisher. And my goodness, um, I, I'm really happy with those two. Scotty, not his best game. I think a lot of people will remember... And there's, you know, I'm not going to fight the Pascal clutch time uh, dialogue or anything like that. But Pascal in clutch time, a lot of the missed shots, he gets to a decent spot and misses like a little touch shot. I'm sure that'll make sense for a lot of people. You'll think and that makes sense. Scotty, in the history of his clutch time stuff, has not missed that many touch shots. Tonight, Scotty, I think he missed five shots in the fourth quarter. I feel pretty great about the shots he took. The, the pull-up three, no. But as far as like getting downhill, he was just missing layups and stuff like that. The most important indicator is that Scotty got downhill late, got to spots late, and he'll make those shots in the future. I'm not, it's not a worry, but he did miss them tonight. And the Raptors as a whole, man, they struggled a lot trying to target this, the Blazers smaller, well, not necessarily small, small guards, but they're smaller players in mismatches. They also, this was, I think, I haven't seen the numbers, but if I had to guess, this was the least amount that they've passed in a game because they were leading the league in passes per game coming into this one. There's a lot of stuff that's up in the air with offensive flow. To start the game, it was going really well because they were in transition. Pascal scored, I think he started three or four from the floor. Most of those looks coming in transition early, and the Raptors doing a really good job of really making in particular, Scoot Henderson, they're applying a lot of pressure to his dribble. He doesn't have the jumper to shoot over top. He did come around in this game. I think this is probably by the number Scoot's best game as a pro. He hasn't played that many, but it was still 4 of 12. He missed six three-point shots, and you know he had four turnovers. 
the Raptors, and Shaden Sharp had four turnovers as well. The Raptors played pretty good point of attack defense. 99 points in a game is nothing. You know, the Blazers aren't going back and saying, hell yeah, we won this game on offense. They're saying, we we won this game defensively. And something to talk about is the, the lack of half-court punch. Um, talk to Jakob about it. He mentioned that the Raptors are a team that is just sometimes doing something to do something, that these cuts aren't in concert with one another. And so just to lay out the floor, if anybody is interested, and this is somebody suggested that I should have a little whiteboard like to do the coaching diagrams. I wish I did at this point. Maybe I will, you know, at a different point in the season. But so what shake action is in a pick and roll is the guy on the weak side. It sounds complicated. It's not. He lifts in concert with the pick and roll so that you're moving a guy who could tag the roller up higher onto the floor. And that's just a really simple example of making a cut in concert with the primary action. And the Raptors, well, I think Jakob is correct. Like, they're not always nailing the timing of these cuts. I also think some of these cuts don't go anywhere because, and here's the thing, um, th- no team really fears the Raptors shooting. And that's the tough part. You can lift to above the break. But if you're not a really great shooter, the defense isn't going to lift with you. They're going to stay in the gap, and they're going to wall off the drive. So these are the really tough things. I asked Jakob about that. I said, hey, and you know, I try to be really polite about it, but you don't have the personnel. You don't have the, re- the reputation as shooters, and teams are going under. You, Jakob, as the trigger man on these split actions, you see teams going under. Like, what is the solve, do you think? And he, he mentioned, like, you know, working a little bit harder at setting a better angle for the screen, doing a better job of rescreening at times. And while I think that's something you can do, I think that the most important thing is that the Raptors are not dynamic enough at the point of attack offensively. I asked this about Darko as well, is that, you know, point five offense is about creating advantages at the back end of the offense, right? Like, point five is not a primary action ethos. That isn't the guiding principle of getting downhill, all that kind of stuff. It's, okay, we take a small advantage and through quick decision-making and the right decision-making, we make that into a bigger advantage. This compounds over the portion of the possession, the first, I don't know, seven, six, seven seconds on the shot clock. And by nine or 10 on the shot clock, we have ourselves like a cut, somebody's catching below the free throw line. They have momentum, they have their dribble. Maybe they get to the rim. At least they sink the defense in. They can pass out to the corner. You get side top side action. All this kind of stuff might happen. But that's point five offense. The Raptors don't really have the primary actions to kick plays off that stress defenses out. And as the Raptors tonight had 75 per hundred possessions, that's their half court, you know, points per hundred possessions. That's the fourth game that's been under 90. That's the third game that's been 76 or under. This is, people can say like, it's early. It is early, but this is really, really bad. Um, If it was 85, then maybe you're close to like, it's early, it's the back end. But the Raptors half court offense has been not just like bad and like, oh, we're learning stuff. It's been putrid. And maybe losing to the 76ers doesn't hammer that home. Maybe thinking we could have had that game against the Bulls doesn't hammer that home, but certainly scoring 91 points against the Portland Trailblazers really hammers that home. The Raptors don't have enough punch offensively. Um, It's a work in progress, as the players have said, as Darko has said, and as some fans will say, and hopefully it gets better going forward. In the early part of the season, though, you you can't excuse it away. The games are being played. Their record is affected. The offense is really bad right now. The good thing, as I mentioned at the start, Scotty Barnes doing just like a phenomenal job guiding transition offense. Uh, Getting to 20 points again, helping out a ton on the defensive glass and getting to those offensive rebounds too. He had four. The assists weren't really there tonight and that's probably a reflection of the Raptors shooting overall, right? They shot four of 29 from downtown. This is kind of the way regression works. It's not... Like, oh, you know, the Raptors are maybe going to be like a 
34, 35% shooting team from downtown this year, they're going to shoot around that, you know, in a lot of these games. It's like, no, the Raptors shot 53% against the 76ers. They're not a 53, they're not even going to be a above 40% shooting team. And tonight they go four of 29. That's the percentages balancing themselves out. And it has been completely like you're just whipping back and forth from the first game to the second, second to the third, third to the fourth. We're seeing these giant leaps across the board from just incredibly efficient shooting the three ball to just, oh my God, putrid, terrible. It's um, it's it's something that the Raptors will have to deal with. And other teams, case in point, the 76ers and the Timberwolves are like, if you're going to shoot really well from three, we're going to see it because you're going to have to shoot. We're going to go under stuff. You're going to have to keep the play above the break. Darko mentioned as much that passing has to be downhill. Passing has to get people into the paint. We need paint touches. Passing for the sake of passing, boom, 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 above the perimeter doesn't really do much. The Raptors have been doing a lot of, it's not dangerous passing. It accomplishes nothing to the defense except to move the ball into somebody else's hands. And they, after this game, they might still lead the NBA in passes, but I think they will definitely be leading the NBA in the worst half-court offense. And this is all stuff they have to navigate. The Man, the Blazers did a pretty good job. They have Heady, like Scoot Henderson might not be that guy, but as far as the guys that are walking out there, you're talking about, man, Tybal, Jeremy Grant, Shaden Sharp, Scoot, Malcolm Brogdon, Kamara, I thought, and, and Jabari Walker, I thought both had like really impressive defensive games. Um, both, you know, their their impact was felt on that side, less so on the the deep, the offensive side. But they played pretty heady defense against this this Raptor squad, and they deserve credit for it. They have a lot of length to throw it there. Even Scoot, who is a shorter guard. And he really has to navigate his finishing troubles with that that height, even as athletic as he is. But Shaden, there's a lot of wingspan. Scoot, there's a lot of wingspan. Brogdon, you still got wingspan. He's still a heady guard, especially in help side stuff. Um, Jabari Walker, Kamara, Jeremy Grant, Matisse Tybel. Like, Aiden didn't dominate the defensive side of the floor, but he certainly did enough as the center of it and, like, cleaning up. Aiton was there to, yes, he's going to block a couple shots. I think he had two blocks tonight. But the biggest thing is that the in this game, the Blazers are sending a lot of help in the gaps. They're sitting in them with length. They're going to bother passes and make you want to keep passing just one pass away because that's safer. And, like, we can Shaden had three, right? Like, Shaden, or sorry, Shaden had two steals. Scoot had two steals. They, they did it an okay job, I guess. But the Raptors just weren't dangerous passers. And part of that was that the, the Blazers put out a decent amount of length out there. And Aiton, in the middle of all that, did a really good job of cleaning up the defensive glass. He had 16 defensive rebounds in this game, right? And he had seven offensive ones. That's tough. Maybe maybe that's tougher for the Raptors to swallow, is the, the seven offensive rebounds. We've seen to this point in the season that the Raptors haven't been able to keep their own defensive glass super clean. And... That was maybe it's exacerbated by Aiton's size, but it's also not like Aiton is. Aiton can certainly rebound, but among the bigger players in the league, he's not necessarily known as the the huge offensive rebounding guy. In fact, I think it was maybe last year, or the year before, Aiton had the worst offensive rebounding swing of any big man in the NBA. As in, when he was on the court, this Phoenix Suns, I think it was last year, the Phoenix Suns, or maybe the year before, the Phoenix Suns didn't offensive rebound that often because Aiton is more of a finesse big. I think most people understand and agree with that. And uh, having a guy like Bismack Biombo come off the bench, for example, uh, suddenly the Suns and, and some of their like tweeners, they just started crashing the glass like crazy. It's why they were interested in Chris Boucher um, last season. And this kind of stuff happening is like having Aiton be the one to do it to you is an indictment of the boxing out, is an indictment of being a little bit frail in the front court um, for tonight. And something that the Raptors, they they have, you got to plug holes. It's like, what is that? It's the flex tape. You know, it's, is his name Billy Mays? Or I can't remember. 
I understand famous Billy Mays, but like I can't remember what the guy said. He slaps the tape on the glass. The water stops running. The Raptors need flex tape and all this kind of stuff. There's some holes they got to plug. And a game against the Blazers is is a good, a really good mirror to the team because the Blazers are not, just because they beat the Raptors tonight does not mean that this team is a world beater. Um, they're probably going to have a shot at the first overall pick in, in this, you know, this upcoming draft. And they put a lot of shots in the hands of guys like Brogdon, the Raptors defense lately, in this game anyway, seeing Brogdon take straight line drives to the rim twice in clutch time, uh, completely just unacceptable. Brogdon is a good heady guard, yes. He he has good minutes ahead of him, but letting him fuel, you know, what is an efficient clutch time offense when you can't muster it on the other side back is is an indictment of what the Raptors are doing, certainly. It sucked to lose that way. The Raptors, they were upset after the game. Um, Scotty said as much. He said this was one we thought we could get. And certainly, because you're playing, you know, we don't have to see much of the season to know. You're playing one of the worst teams in the NBA. And the Raptors at 1-3 and three now, you know, they have to do their best to, the rest of the season, compel people not to eagerly say they might be one of them when they look at, you know, the, the offensive level of production. Um, we have a, a listener question from Nesta. Would I like to see the Raptors acquire Brogdon and for who? I think, I don't think the, I don't think the way out for this team is trading for guys who, I just don't think it's trading for guys to improve them for this year. I think this team has to be really mindful of the future. And I know that might run against things and what people say because the Raptors don't have their first round pick this year. That, if the term is sunk cost fallacy, right? Just because a decision was made in the past, you can't make other decisions that might not be good to try and make that past decision look better. I think it would probably be, unless they can get him for like a second round pick, which they won't be able to, then I think the Brogdon trade, um, I think they should just leave that alone. Um, if there are trades to be made, if I had to guess, they're going to be more so the type that shows you the timeline is like, um, shows you the timeline is maybe in the future. Yeah, I know they have their first round pick if they get a top five pick, um, but we'll see. Uh, this, the point stands, right? Is like, if they're trading for Brogdon, they're trying not to have their pick. You know what I mean? Um, I guess we'll, we'll see what happens. But yeah, the Raptors, they're, they're still struggling offensively. I kind of laid out some of the structural stuff that's going wrong. Some of the good stuff we saw on the offense tonight was um, Dennis and Pirtle had a few of their best pick and rolls tonight. There were a couple uh, Pascal Siakam post-ups that worked out quite well. Um, late in the game, we saw three very successful ones. And that was the Raptors, I guess, best offense late in the game, but bad offense overall. Pascal got a few more post touches in this game, um, got a couple more touches with a screen above the break in this game. And obviously people will notice like Pascal going from eight shots to 20. Um, that's like, or sorry, 21, a big jump in shots, obviously, from last game to this game. Um, Darko made a joke before the game that, um, that, Pascal will take too many shots and that the media will complain after complaining that he took too few. I think most people are pretty comfortable with Pascal taking 21. Um, I'm sure there's some people, I see a lot of different um, opinions popping up in the chat and over the course of my day, just seeing people respond to my work that some people probably don't want Siakam taking very many, but I think most people are okay with Siakam on any given night, probably sitting between like 13 and 25, 25 being very high. Um, I don't expect that very often. This game, it was, it was, Siakam was effective inside the arc, and I thought that he made good decisions inside the arc. It's the tough thing is he went 0 for 6 from 3 in this game. This was a game where you really would have liked to have more punch from 3. This was also the game where Scotty went 1 of 4 from 3, where OG went 2 for 9 from 3. And that's, I mean, Grady went 0 for 3 
right? Dennis Schroeder, who was shooting like, what, 52% coming into this game, went one for three. Um, and, and Schroeder, just the way he was being played at the point of attack and the fact that the Raptors, um, they weren't collapsing the defense that often, he didn't have a bunch of three-point opportunities coming his way. And so that was kind of um, difficult. We have a question from Lee Zimmerman. Lee's from Raptors Republic. Big shout out. Been reading and listening for so long and always kind um, in, in communicating about basketball with me. What happened to Darko's idea of gradually implementing the offense piece by piece by halftime game two that already went out the window? I still think that they're obviously trying very hard to implement the offense. Like it, it was more so you could see they were going to more deliberate plays to increase like a, a post touch or a mismatch touch here, right? Like Pascal was used more as a screener tonight because they wanted to initiate mismatches. And as I said before, like the inside the arc stuff that Pascal did tonight was better. It just happened to coincide with the game where he didn't shoot well from three. If Pascal, this is the game where he shoots three of five from downtown, like opening night. It's certainly better than, you know, ending up at 9 of 21. But he missed all six. And, um, you know, it's tough. Um, piece by piece, implementing the offense, like doing it slowly. I'm sure they have concepts that they're going to apply over the course of the season that build on some of this baseline stuff that they're doing. But I still think, like, overall, there's a decent amount of difference, at least in stick to to the process that is different than last season. But the biggest change from last season to this season is, is the Raptors like deciding how hard they lean into this because they they aren't leaning into what's easiest. They aren't leaning into what they did last year. They're leaning into something different, something new, and something that's really difficult. They're running split action with a team that does not shoot very well. This is, you have to like hammer this over teams' heads. You have to be so fine in the detail of like rescreening, slips, timing, angle of screen. Because guess who runs a predominantly split action offense? There's like two teams in the NBA, and one of them is the Golden State Warriors. And the reason why Steve Kerr, when he got hired, changed them from Mark Jackson's pick and roll Warriors to a split action team is because of the immense, insane amount of shooting they had and the right trigger man in Draymond Green. The Raptors have no such shooting. Split action is primarily used to get backdoor cuts because teams will overplay the shooter popping out top. Or they're going to give the ball to the shooter popping out top. And if he has a shot, great. If he doesn't, you filter into a pick and roll or a dribble handoff with... Um, the guards and, and the guy who was just making the decision in the split action. That's what they do. The other team is, so, some of it is like more dribble handoff based because Sabonis is uh, more dangerous as a keeper option than Draymond Green and they can filter into some post-up stuff more often than the Warriors do. But Demonis Sabonis and the Kings, they run a lot of split action as well. Guess what? De'Aaron Fox, Malik Monk, Kevin Herter, Keegan Murray, it's like shooting, shooting the basketball. And they have good catch-and-shoot shooters. They have elite movement shooters. They have guys who can shoot off the dribble. Like Malik Monk, if anybody's forgotten about him, he went insane in the playoffs last year, working out of like split action, working out of those filtering into the pick-and-roll or the dribble handoff and just throwing darts from downtown. And De'Aaron Fox, obviously, is one of the best you know guards in the league. He can get a paint touch whenever he wants. And my goodness, yeah, we have a comment from Phoenix Plays Z in concert with what we're talking about here. It's not just about shooting. We need to talk about put players putting pressure on the rim. These two are married. So, for example, like Steph Curry gets to the rim an okay amount of time. But among guards, if you go to cleaningglass.com, for example, you'll see he is rarely responsible for his own rim pressure. Steph Curry, his unassisted rate at the rim, is usually really, really low because a lot of his rim attempts are he's receiving a pass going downhill. It's not him turning the corner or anything like that. And it's because the defense has to step out and the defense ha allows the rim because the shooting is dangerous. As Jakob talked about, we're just watching guys drive into a few defenders at a time for the Raptors. That's what we're seeing offensively, right? Um, 
How is Barnes going to get all the way to the rim if there's three bodies in front of him? How is Pascal going to do it, right? Late in the game, yes, Pascal gets to the rim because they run an empty side post up. Pascal times the spin really well, and he's on Brogdon, and he beats Aiton, who's coming over on the weak side. Like, that's technically he got to the rim, but that's slow. That's not, like, dynamic basketball. And when the Raptors try and play, like, we're going to have a line drive all the way to the rim from the top, no way. Just no way in hell. Teams are packing the paint on them. So these two things are married. And the other thing about this, too, is that we saw it against the 76ers. The Raptors shot 53% from three. They started out eight of eight. The 76ers did not relent. They said, you will keep shooting and you will keep proving it over and over and over again. We will not allow Scotty and Pascal straight line drives. We will not allow that to happen. Teams are going to sit in the paint. And as far as like Dennis Schroeder, this was something I talked about, whether it's Dennis, whether it's Gary, whatever, you know, maybe Grady had a couple, you know, attempts at the rim tonight. These guys who are working out of those more traditional dribble handoff sets, maybe it's Malachi. You have to look at the the lead up to this. Like Gary had a big change last year because he was a guy who shot really well in the short mid range, um, around 50%, great numbers. And it was because he started taking an extra dribble and started hitting floaters over the defense. Really nice to see. But we see it in transition, right? Gary is not a guy who's going to go finish above people in the rim if the paint, if there's anybody existing in the paint. Dennis Schroeder, as much as anybody, you know, I like Dennis's game. I think he's done well since joining the Raptors, but there's no indication from his statistics. I've watched, you know, quite a bit of Dennis Schroeder in my lifetime that he is at all like a, a rim pressure, rim finisher in the half court. He's a smaller guard. And his, even over the last three years, for example, and please nobody get angry at me for saying this. This is just a statistical comparison. But Dennis Schroeder's rim finishing over the past three seasons is like 58%. Fred Van Vliet's, is 61%. Dennis can get more paint touches than Fred. He can get all the way to the rim more than Fred. But as far as like the efficiency of finishing, um, Dennis is not um, super, super impressive. And, and Dennis is also like, he's a mid-level exception guard. He's not supposed to carry the offense. He's supposed to come in and like help guys like Siakam, Pirtle, Barnes, and Anobi. But because of the Raptors, system and the fact that they need as much on ball pop as possible a lot of touches have shifted his way so the raptors are in a super big figuring it out situation and it doesn't look pretty it doesn't um by the numbers it's really bad you watch the film it's not good either and the result of that obviously is that they couldn't score against this trailblazers team they're navigating a lot of their limitations and struggling to do so this isn't to say that, you know, they can't eventually get over that hump. It's just they currently are firmly on the hump or at the bottom of it. Certainly, certainly not over it at this point. I've been talking for 27 minutes. Thank you to everybody. I'm going to take a drink of water. This isn't the end of the pod. Just going to put this down quickly. All right, and we're back. So defensively, I thought the Raptors, just to in case anybody is coming late to this, I thought the Raptors did a really good job of pressuring the guards. Um, Shaden, I thought, had like a tough game against these Raptors. Scoot, I thought, had a tough game against these Raptors. And Malcolm Brogdon had the best pacing to deal with this Raptors team. Uh, I thought he picked really good times to punch gaps. I thought he picked like his pacing on these screens was really good. He knew when to pull up. He knew when to probe and he helped make everybody more dangerous. Like him giving you 21 and five, you know, off the bench was huge. He played almost 30 minutes and, but overall I thought the Raptors played good defense against probably the, maybe the worst offense they've faced so far this season. Um, and they maybe only faced one good offense so far this season. The, the Timberwolves I think will be okay by year's end, but they now have Jaden McDaniels. We didn't see him on opening night. The Bulls, I think their offense will be below average. The 76ers probably above average. Um, and and tonight, I, I don't expect the, the Blazers to be like 
a really good um a really good uh, offense here's another question from lee zimmerman what was darko referring to we can't let when he said quote we can't let individual problems overtake the collective good and and we have to stick together um yeah so as you said this is paraphrasing he afterwards was asked to follow up by aaron rose is there anybody who is putting like the individual stuff is this a point of tension and he said no not really so yeah i think this is just a case of words sometimes those guys get up there and they just talk about like togetherness we need to be more together and that doesn't mean that they necessarily have a, like a guy in mind who's stopping the team from being together i don't think that's that's pascal related now the selfishness don't like debacle you shouldn't be using the term selfishness to describe your team all the time i i always really disliked selfishness being used as a buzzword because calling players selfish is like that's you can't unring that bell now saying like oh we need to play together a little bit more is a lot more vague um it has a lot less bite to it so um i don't think it's uh i don't think it's anything bad as far as um as far as like what darko was saying um we have from vegan grass it's a siakam and dennis issue i wondered if this might happen where you know we're four games into the season last season everybody said it's this guy's fault Everybody said, it's this guy's fault. And four games into the season, it's Siakam and Dennis. Um, maybe, or maybe, the Raptors haven't built the best team they possibly can. And that you have to be intentional. And you have to be really smart about how you build the team. And guys have to fit together. And even if guys try really hard, sometimes it's easier to get two lazy players whose skill sets work really well together than it is to really hardworking players who will sacrifice and they their skill sets don't complement each other. Something like that, right? The Raptors are trying really hard. Um, the Raptors are doing their best currently. Like I genuinely believe that. They they hustle, they they give it, they really care um defensively. And they've done that. We have the response, but there's a chance that it is their fault. There's a chance that it is anyone's fault. You can't prove a negative. You know, we learned this in, in debate class, right? Like, and, and if you're going to allege things, the, the, the proof, the burden of proof is always on the person who alleges things, I guess is probably the thing. It could be their fault, certainly, but um, fault can go a lot of different ways. And we saw this Raptors team throw a lot of blame around last season and Masai Ujiri in particular, right? Masai Ujiri says, well, I didn't build this team right, but also they're playing selfish. I didn't like watching this team. There won't be selfishness on this team anymore. All this kind of stuff. These are just words, really. The team has to go out there and play, and they have to play with their skill sets that are known, game planned for, and that the basics of basketball have to account for. So it could be their fault. I think that's that's true. It could also be other people's fault. And unless you are like certain beyond any recognition, I don't know, it's tough to just say those things, especially four games into the season. I think Pascal has been put in really tough positions. And I'll say that and also say Pascal hasn't been as good as I hoped he would to start the season. Somebody who has also been put in tough positions, Scotty. Scotty has been better than Pascal to start this season. Scotty has taken some of those difficult positions and risen above it and just been like made an incredible amount of shots. But guess what? Scotty started what like was he like six of nine in this game? He finishes eight of nineteen. It's because he's being put in a lot of difficult positions that he he goes like two of ten or two of nine down the stretch. So it's not Scotty's fault. Scotty is a player trying to hit shots. Scotty's a player trying to create in you know confined spaces. He's trying to work out of a broom closet the same way Siakam is, and both of them struggled tonight. Scotty has been better overall. That's great to see because Scotty's the future. But these guys are being put in tough positions. I think it makes more sense to talk about the limitations overall instead of pinning it on one guy. I never liked that. That happened last season, and the dialogue around the Raptors was poison. And even amongst fans, people who probably like, who, not in person probably, but people who talk about it online are like, I wasn't having fun talking about the team because everyone was so angry all the time. And it was. Everybody was in a camp about this player or this player. It's like, I don't know their team. If they're going to talk about sticking together and all that kind of stuff, um, 
I think people have to be mindful. Now, of course, you don't have to be. You can talk about the team however you want. But as far as me looking at this and responding, that's what I think about that. Um, we have a, a, a question or just a, a statement from Jason Thorne. Also, let's be positive. The Heat are one and three. It's just four games in. That's one and three was is not a death knell. I think people are mostly worried that the Raptors just lost to what is going to be one of the worst teams in the league. And the fact that the offense has not had more than like a, a successful run of four minutes. It's okay to look at the process and be like, damn, it's not going well. It's okay. But as far as like ringing the alarm bell and saying the season is dead, no, too early for that. The Raptors have a really good defense. They play out in transition a ton. If they figure things out to even get to like, I don't know, as any semblance of productivity in the half court, they're going to win. I like, I think, I think they win more than 36 and a half games this year. They're over under. And like, I, I think that they're going to win games with that baseline of like having a really good defense running out in transition a lot in this game. It really hurt them that their defense wasn't able to close out defensive possessions because those defensive possessions you know, identified easily by when you look at the opening game against the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Raptors created a transition possession out of almost 50% of their defensive rebounds. Just grab it, push, 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 push. That's good. That's good offense. And if the Raptors can't close out the defensive possessions and DeAndre Ayton, for example, is grabbing seven of those things on your head, that's seven, potentially like three or three or four less transition opportunities, which the Raptors do a really good job scoring at. These things feed into each other all the time. I like talking about half-court offense as its own thing because it is. But as far as like basketball as a whole, your defense really leads into transition. Those two things are married incredibly well. Half-court offense is just its own thing because it's a set offense against a set defense. That's the way it works. Even like in this game, we saw on live rebounds, a lot of the possessions that Siakam scored on or created an advantage on was he beat whoever was guarding him, you know, in a lot of cases, Jeremy Grant up the floor, and he posted up and did early work to Malcolm Brogdon or Scoot Henderson or something like that and created an opportunity for the team that wouldn't be there early in the clock in the half court, right? So if you get a stop, you have a lot more opportunities and the Raptors, they will get stops. They will have opportunities going forward, and they have things to build off to win in the future. They should have won this game. It's disappointing that they didn't. They shot four of 29 from three. They didn't play the way that they needed to, and they know that, and they were disappointed after the game, talking to them. Four of 29, I mean, they're not that bad, but that's so bad you can't even, you can't even look away from it. But, man, it's, uh, it's tough. A good question from Jason Thorne. Do I think the coaching staff will look at the starting five? I don't think so. I thought heading into this season that um, I thought that this season we would see Gary Trent Jr. at shooting guard. And I thought the Raptors would really just say, like, screw it. Let's try and put Scotty at point guard. Maybe some possessions he's point guard. Maybe some possessions he's the small forward. Maybe some possessions he's like a big whatever. But I thought they might try to do that to maximize the spacing. But I tell you what, I mean, Dennis, he didn't shoot it like he went one of three from downtown in this game. It's not the worst thing ever. Certainly better than the team at large. Um, but Dennis has shot the ball extremely well to start. I do wonder if the Raptors, and this is where it's tough because the Raptors are working out of the post, yes, but they're also putting the ball in guards' hands a lot. Like, Dennis is in the starting lineup, yes. And in my mind, I was like, they're going to work off of Siakam and Barnes more and try and leverage their strengths and just put shooting around them. So Gary will go in the starting lineup. But they're not playing around Barnes and Siakam. They're playing around Jakob, right, in the starting lineup. And they're playing around Dennis. Dennis leads the Raptors in touches per game. That's like they're putting the ball into his hands. So... If they want to play this way, I would much prefer Dennis get that many touches than Gary get that many touches because I think Dennis can do more things offensively and progress the offense into better looks more often than Gary does when they're playing this style of basketball. But if they were playing 
through Pascal and Scotty really through the wings instead of through like these hubs, you know, and, and post play, um, then I would prefer Gary. But if they're going to play this way, Dennis is a much better option than Gary. Um, a question from Chrome Phoenix. Do you think Dennis three-point shooting will regress to low 30 soon? Or is he genuinely an improved shooter? It's hard to tell. I think Dennis has had a couple seasons north of like 37%. And there's a possibility we get one of those seasons this year. Do I think Dennis goes like north of 40? That would be incredible at this point. I don't think he's an improved shooter. He might have improved like markedly. Um, but a guy who's in year 10 or 11, I can't remember which one it is for Dennis. It's more so about um, the positions he's put in. Like, is he taking open threes? Is he taking threes that meet him in rhythm? And he has been taking a lot of like rhythm threes. Um, he has been taking a lot of open threes so far this season. Um, he certainly isn't like one of those lead guards who sees a team, you know, throw a different coverage at him or try to like shoot the gap on the pick and roll and he's just going to launch from over top. Um, no, I, I think Dennis probably is going to be a guy who shoots mid thirties from three. If you get any higher, um, I think that's probably going to be fantastic. I just, I just think Dennis, he's been good enough so far. If people are frustrated with Dennis, I get it, but you're probably just frustrated with the team, right? Dennis is a mid-level exception guard. These guys don't save your season. They don't save your offense and they're not meant to. And if Dennis could save this offense, he deserves about $60 million a year. That's how good he would have to be because this offense has been terrible. Um, but yeah, another question, why hasn't Otto been used thus far? I think he's working himself into shape. And I think that's probably disappointing for some people, but that's, that's the case. Um, he should factor in maybe early November, you would hope. that That's kind of the stuff. But yeah, the Raptors, they lose a tough one to the, the Trailblazers. Um, I do want to take some time. Let's talk about Grady Dick. If anybody has any questions about Grady development or usage or anything like that, feel free to ask in the comments, but I'm just going to start myself off here. So Grady gets pushed off the line in this game, does a really good job of moving the offense along, and... No really fancy passes in this game. We could see a couple times where the Raptors, they didn't identify that Grady was open on the perimeter. Like there was one where Pascal was pushing in transition. And this is something Scotty never misses on, by the way. Like Scotty is such a genius in transition. He knows exactly how to collapse the side. He knows exactly how to draw somebody in. And he knows like you have the live dribble and the defense is paying attention to you because you got to stop ball. Um... He knows where to get on the floor to open up the shooter he wants. He's not going to like drive and see how the defense reacts. He knows like there's a pressure point here. I'm going to drive the ball there and create this shot for maybe it's Grady, Fred in the past or something like that. Maybe it's Gary, right? Um, there was one where Pascal had a chance to cl very clearly collapse the defense and leave a drop-off pass for Grady, and he didn't. That's something I think should be happening going forward, but that's just one play. Nobody use this as an opportunity to talk about selfishness, please, God. Um, and Grady, he really does a great job moving off of guys. At the very start of the podcast, I talked about shake action, right? Um, you could actually hear, like, when I'm taking pictures of the guys before with my little, my little camera, taking pictures of the guys before the game. You can hear, like, uh, Imo, um, Ivo Simovich, like, talking about, okay, we're going to run shake, come out of the corner for Precious and Grady. And they just want to time it properly with the drive that's happening to warm up. We um we see like <laughs> time to take a clip out of context. Very good. Yes. Um we see guys working on that kind of stuff all the time. Um 45 cuts, for example, is like when the D is collapsing, what when's a really good time to make a 45 cut? If a guy is driving, you're a 45 on the weak side. If a guy's driving and your guy kind of steps in to dig, oh, as soon as he takes that step to dig, get going to the rim. Because he's not going to track you. And not only that, but the defense, the low man is paying attention to the guy on ball. You're probably going to have an opportunity to like catch a, a live ball, put the ball down, and rise up to the rim. Probably, if you time that 45 cut directly. The baseline cut, you know, there's different times to time your baseline cut based on what your man is committing to. But a lot of these reads are based on like, okay, what is your man committing to? But there's also scripted reads, right? Like there'll be some scripted reads, like a shake is scripted. 
because a shake isn't really about, okay, my man is committing. The shake is like, we want to move the defense and we want you to move the man. So in con in concert with the pick and roll that's being run, you got to shake up. You got to lift up the floor because we want to move the, the defense this way. A lot of guys who, after they shake, they can pump and go into a completely empty side for a wide open mid range jumper. There's other stuff that comes out of that, but like we're talking about a team that doesn't leverage its shooting very well and teams won't respond to it. And Grady's already getting that response. The cuts he makes, you could see he's in play for a lot of those offensive rebounds, like tap outs. Um, he, he tried to poster. I think it was, I, man, I think it was Jabari. I think he tried to poster him. He got blocked regardless, but he went at the rim aggressively a few times. I love that. He, he was identifying the top foot as a driver. He knows what to look for when he's getting a hard closeout. He, he, he impressed me immensely. And he got all the way to the rim a few times. Getting all the way to the rim is like a super big deal. And the same way that Pascal and Scotty can't because teams are loading up, Grady, teams are not loading up. Like the, the defensive response in, against the 76ers was like, okay, we're going to let him shoot. He shot the lights out. The defensive response was the Blazers was like, okay, we, we want to push him downhill, but we're not going to bring help really. And he got all the way to the rim a couple times. He got blocked on the one, but the defensive response after that is that teams will start bringing help. This is where, for all the scouts who are paying attention, all the people who paid attention, anybody who listened to me talking to scouts about Grady in the run-up to the draft and then afterwards, he's an immense progressive passer. So if he starts getting that help at the rim, He'll make really good passing reads to cutters, to open shooters, to all that kind of stuff. And that was actually something that that's a, a drill that a lot of NBA prospects get put through with the Raptors, with other teams and Grady with other teams and with the Raptors. One of the biggest identifiers of his future going forward was he made excellent reads, progressive reads after putting the ball down against closeouts, like looking at the weak side zone, winning that game of cat and mouse just really identifying where the cuts are coming from, how guys are working with him. He'll be able to do that stuff. I'm really impressed and I'm excited to see how he progresses. There's some stuff where he's going to see physicality at the point of attack. And when he's trying to get like over a screen, some guys are going to try and bully him. Like they're really, really going to bully him. And he, he's a slimmer guy, of course, Um and it might take him a few years to start bullying back, but he's a big, like Grady's almost 6'9". You, you can't tell that much on the floor right now. Once he fills out in the upper body a little bit, I think it's going to be really, really evident. And um, so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to Grady seeing defensive responses and meeting the moment over and over again. And tonight I thought he made all, the, like, he just makes such high-level decisions over and over and over again. He was very impressive tonight. And um, I was like more, more than impressed with, with Grady in this one. And that's kind of the thing about like not getting hung up on expectations for the team is, you know, if you don't get too upset with, you know, losing to the Blazers, you can focus more on Grady doing interesting and unique things, even in a game where he didn't shoot well. Um, from Cujo, the urbanist, do I think Grady should be getting more playing time? It's a small sample size, but he's looking pretty solid. I think Grady's... I thought he maybe could have got more minutes in the first couple games, but as far as, and, and you know, watching those first two games, I didn't feel like there was that much room for Grady, to be honest. I think in regards to Grady, I think Darko has really rode the line really well. You know, 20 minutes tonight, that was about enough for Grady. And he almost played 30 on Saturday. I thought that was probably the right amount too. Um, Darko, I disagreed with having Jalen ahead of Chris in the, in the first couple games, but as far as like how he's used Grady, I think that he, it's been really great. I don't think Grady should be playing like 30 every night. Um, he, when the game is working and he can, you know, find his way to things and not get hunted uh, defensively. Um, I think, you know, maybe you see like 24 to 30 minutes, depending on how the game's going, especially if he's shooting well. Um, there's going to be some games where maybe it's like south of 10, right? And I think it's just, it's up to, to Darko to pull that switch or pull the lever when it needs to be that. But I've liked it pretty good so far. It's meaningful that he played more minutes than Gary tonight. 
Gary's pretty disappointing to start this season. And that's that's not a you know comment on Grady's ceiling or how good he's been for the Raptors in spurts in the past and all that kind of stuff. It's just tonight was a really rough one for him. Um, okay. <clears throat> From Phoenix Play Z, non-Raptors related question, but this has been boggling my brain around. But you think it's, do I think it's fair to say a Dame AD core would break the league more than the Dame Giannis pairing just on fit alone? Um, I think that the fit for the pick and roll is incredible, right? Um, because, and then you can get into the micro skills, right? Like how good is Dame as a lob thrower? Like if, if, if James Harden and Anthony Davis were together at the height of their, because Harden was maybe the best lob thrower in the NBA, especially he had like the equivalent of the, the read option that QBs would run that broke the NFL for a little bit. And AD has the highest catch radius and the most like, Oh, I give a shit about being a good screener and going to run and roll to the rim uh, intersecting with how much talent and like physical tools he had. He was like immense. Um, but Dame isn't like so much a lob thrower. Maybe that affects it. But as far as just like AD and Dame, that pick and roll is way better than AD and Giannis um, or sorry than Dame and Giannis. But also Giannis will help carry things way more than AD elsewhere in the in the half court. And just in transition as well. So I think um, Damianis is still a better pairing. But that's because even though AD and Dame is just like, it's a better fit in the half court, I think Giannis elsewhere is just doing so much stuff. Amit says, you got a dip, great show. My brother, thank you for hopping in. Um, I probably, this is a good time for me to dip as well. I'll give like a couple minutes if anybody has a question and I'll answer one more if anybody is is interested and then I'll get out of here. But before I do so, thank you to everybody for listening. It's late at night. We're talking hoops. Um, it's it's really nice to to see everybody hop in. And um, yeah. Okay. We got one more question from Jason Thorne. How many shots do I think the big six should suit? Should, holy smokes, big six should shoot ideally. That's like a tongue twister. I bet you didn't even, I bet you even didn't even think it was. But my goodness. How many shots together? Uh Let's say OG between 12 and 18 is really good because if he's up near 12, that means the three-point um, volume is where it needs to be, and he can go higher depending on how the game is going. Siakam, I said, anywhere from like 13 to 25 on how the game's going. Um, let's see, Jakob, between 5 and, and 10 probably. Barnes, there's been a couple games, and last year we had one where my goodness, Scotty took like 29 shots. I will let Scotty take as many shots as he wants because he's young and we're trying to see something. If Pascal's taking like 30 shots in a game, if he's taking like 27, it means Pascal's going for like 40 or something like that, right? Um, but if anybody is going to like turn it loose and we want to see who turns it loose, um, I want to see Barnes turn it loose. I'm going to be disappointed if Barnes has games that are like under 10 shots. I'm going to be disappointed if he doesn't get north of like, I want him, I want him going north of 14, like every game, man. Let's see it. Maybe it's, this team is not, hasn't been a world beater offensively for years. What do you have to lose? If Scotty wants to take those shots, go nuts, dude. Let's see it. And then Schroeder. Yeah. Maybe between like eight and 14 is good. Um, th this is maybe a little bit too specific or maybe not specific enough. It was that type of question. I'm not sure exactly how to answer it. Um, how many Pascal post-ups today? I didn't count those. I wasn't tracking those from the press box. Um, so I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. This was his highest volume post-up game though. I will say for sure. We have a comment. No one is stopping Scotty running straight to the rim. Then why doesn't he do it every time? Right? Because you can stop him running straight to the rim. Um, Giannis, who is more effective running to the rim than Scotty, also has trouble navigating the half court sometimes. Is because like you put guys in the lane. You can't just run guys over, even though Giannis does on occasion. Um, the Raptors have to be, they have to in the future pair Scotty with more shooting so that he can run into less congested lanes. Because Scotty, he had that one take. He missed the initial look in transition. And then got a put back. But my God, he just moved a guy. He got even with him with a live dribble, shouldered him out of the way, just went up at the rim. 
Scotty is a load to deal with. But even when guys have all that natural talent, you still have to put the right skill sets around them. You still have to play um, with those advantages and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I'd love to see Scotty with like a whole bunch, a whole whack of shots. Because like, why not? Let's see it. We have a question. Can we talk about management? Oh man, we've been talking about management forever. If if like the management conversations, I typically will have those on like the Pull Up Tray podcast or the Raptors Weekly podcast. As far as like talking about management after a game, I love talking about what's happening on the floor during a game. So um, not really the place where I'll talk about management. But um, I think critiques of management are fair. Like 100%. I don't have any problem with critiques of anybody on this team is fair. As long as they're done in good faith, explained properly, and aren't dehumanizing. Um, you could critique management. I, I see a lot of people do it, and I see I agree with a, a lot of the critiques. Um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, and a question. I'm, am I saying Scotty isn't being maximized thanks to Yakin skills? Probably not. Um, Scotty has to, you know, part of part of what Scotty has to do is play well enough to prove that, hey, build around me right now. I'm good enough to do it. Um, he probably wasn't like a no-brainer build-around guy. For some people, they think he was, and credit to you, he's he's really showing it now. Like, look at what I'm doing. It's in a, a non-ideal context. Try and put a more ideal context around me, and let's see what I can do. It happens with... It doesn't happen with that many players, to be, to be honest with you, right? Like, most players, teams will start building around them during their max extension. Or something like that. Like Devin Booker wasn't built around on the Suns on his rookie contract. He was built around during his max extension. Um, and Devin Booker is one of the, at this point, like one of the best players in the league. Um, it's only guys like Luca who immediately come into the league and are just an immense offensive engine who during their rookie scale contract teams are like, okay, we have to build around now. We have to see what's going on. Um, so is, yeah, are Jakob and Scotty? Are Jakob and Pascal the perfect fit? I uh, probably not. Um, I, like I don't think so. But um, also, he could he could improve in some ways, and they could fit better. But um, I also really dislike the just put shooters around Scotty and like the you know the old Ben Simmons dialogue that people would say. Oh, imagine if you just surrounded Ben Simmons with shooters, that wouldn't have worked. I think you have to be more um, intelligent. Like I'm not saying this is what you're saying, of course, but I think like. You have to build versatile, dynamic offenses that can do different things. You can't just like surround um, Scotty with shooters. It it helps if the guys shoot, of course. But I would love, and I've talked about this before. I would love to see Scotty paired with like an elite pick and roll guard. Um, that oh, I would love that because Scotty is so good, so good at working off of advantages that other people create, especially as a connective passer. And as we've seen, Scotty, the number one thing he's done in his career to this point is not creation. It's finishing plays. Like, Scotty, you put him in motion, you get him downhill when somebody's already shifted the defense. Are you insane? Are you crazy? He's going to feast. He's going to shoot 59% from the field. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> He, I, I think Scotty's future is very bright, but um, uh, we have Darren Fox and Maxi as recommendations for guards to play with Scotty. I'd love to see either one of those. Yeah, um, there's a few guards who would just would pair really well. Unfortunately, none none of them play on the, the Toronto Raptors, and unfortunately, Fred VanVleet wasn't that level of guard either. Um, so we still have to wait to see it. I really hope I get to see it while I cover the Raptors, um, because Scotty's a special player and he plays a very unique brand of basketball. I'd like to see it weaponized in concert with somebody else's weaponization. Okay, that feels like a podcast. Um, thank you to everybody for hopping in. It's late night. We're hanging out talking hoops. Thank you for everybody kind of popping in and chatting. Um, if anybody's interested, my written work, a lot of the, the best written work covering the Raptors is on raptorsrepublic.com if you want to go subscribe. If you're watching this video and you have the ability to like it currently, like that video, I think it helps spread it to other people. And honestly, like the YouTube channel wasn't something that Raptors Republic prioritized that much. But since I've been doing more of these like video essays and the live streams, the subscribers have been going up quite a lot. So I think like, let's try and get to 10,000 subscribers in a decent amount of time. Um, If you want to subscribe, cool. Um, would appreciate it. The support is always appreciated. 
um, live stream people. Thank you so much for hopping on with me late at night. I appreciate it so much. To the people listening on the podcast version, thanks for tuning in. I hope you liked some of my insights. I hope you liked some of the insights that came from the chat. All that kind of stuff. I hope you enjoyed the listen. And finally, live stream listeners afterwards, whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye. Good. We're out of here.